We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 151 of the pod. We turn another page and uh, head into a sportsless world as we have over the last, I believe, 48 days, 49 days. Yeah, in that range. I think it's 48. Uh, we are getting to the 50-day mark, but that does not mean we are without headlines. Matt Rooney, Joe Musso here to navigate you along this fantastic journey. Uh, some positivity. Uh, the NBA, MLB putting together tentative plans for possible returns. We could have NBA basketball mid-June. We could have MLB baseball as early as the first week in June. Uh, Fauci says, hold on, not so fast, we're not ready. But leagues are moving forward, as I believe they should. Now, this isn't a political stance. This isn't a world health stance. This is a stance of be ready to go when you get the green light. I can't have a two-week period where we could be playing sports and we're not because we weren't ready and things hadn't moved yet. I'm just going to retroactively I, like hit the grievance music before you start this rant. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like just let, let people know that this was this yeah. was going to be an mm-hmm. early grievance. Yeah. But no, uh, I'm very happy to hear that those types of things are happening regardless of when the games are actually going to be played. I have it on good confidence that Fight Island is also um, in the works. Uh, the island is the reopening purchased. Fight Island. There, it hasn't hit the it hasn't hit the headlines yet, but I believe and I have heard that the UFC is operating under the guise that at a certain point they are going to be able to. So they're trying to get this thing ready to go. They're trying to get operational. I think that all of these leagues are trying to get out in front of the green light. So like we said, when it does go green, you can go pedal to the floor and start making money again, start putting events on again, and uh, you know start entertaining the masses again. So it, it's, it's I nice guess that's to hear, the good news. There. Yeah, it's nice to hear that. Like you said, they are getting started now within, you know, guidelines being set out for them, still maintaining social distancing and, you know, I'm sure getting tested in ways that they can. Uh, still trying to do it in a safe manner. But like you said, you know, preparing so that when, they, when we get to the point where they do have the green light, probably without fans, but hey, we're, we're good to go. We can start playing games. It's like you said, mm-hmm. it's not a, another two week training camp where we got to wait and, and, you know, watch another practice and essentially waste two more weeks where yeah. the second that happens, like they're going to have a plan and say, you know, two days from now, the NBA is tipping off in Vegas or wherever, you know, the hell they decide to end up doing it. But uh, it's, it's relieving to hear and it, it's whether it's means that where they're going to be back in two weeks or a month or, or two months from now, it's, it's. A yeah. positive step in the in the right direction. Quite honestly, I think all of us kind of need to see, you know, oh, cool, they they are actually like in, we're not hearing things anymore. It's not hearing this could be happening. We're hearing teams are starting to open facilities, and we're actually seeing their guidelines. It's nice to see. And to go a little bit NBA specific here, I think the Vegas thing really works because you it have makes a, a lot of sense. You have a market that knows how to put on basketball events. They've done big things in the past. They do the summer league every year. Um, it is a, it is also a, a city right now that, and, and I know everywhere is hurting, but that, that city is run by the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. which is completely shut down right now. There are people looking for jobs. You won't be hurting to find people to put on these events and, and be volunteer help or be 
you know, stringer help where they are getting paid, obviously. But, you know, everything that you could need is there. The facilities are there. The people are there. Um, the players know it there. The hotel rooms, my God, are empty and they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could give each player a floor on, on in a hotel That'd and be keep sick. them away from each other. I, I'm being hyperbolic here, but at the same time, like, it, it, it just makes a ton of sense. And the only, the only hiccup in the Vegas plan is trying to convince these guys not to go downstairs and gamble. gamble. I know it's not open right now. What's the I thing? You just don't open offered, it. You don't have if, people. Yeah, but if like, but if LeBron James or, or Dwayne Wade comes in, I know, I know he's retired. He's retired. I'm trying, to think of, I'm trying to think of these guys who you know were the big gamblers. You always hear about in these card games. Let's say Jimmy Michael Butler Jordan. comes down. Uh, Jimmy Butler comes downstairs and he really wants to play some play some blackjack well i'm sure jimmy butler's got a couple phone numbers in vegas that could get to a pit boss that could get someone down there there's just a comedy of errors could occur uh, surrounding gambling and other vices that are lying dormant in las vegas let's just say yeah that's fair i guess you get to that point where you kind of i mean it, you have to just trust them that that said i think the from what i've seen or what i mean this hasn't been a, a, a report in um, a month or so when they first started reporting you know vegas as a possibility didn't they say they're, they're working on like three or four different sites so it's not just going to be one city they're going to have a, th- a few different options traveling back and forth between um, am i crazy I, I, no that sounds right i don't know exactly um i've been more in tune with the mlb proposal of being multi-city yeah. i don't know exactly when it comes to the nba what their multi-city plan is or if they're going to coordinate everyone in vegas it just i mean it makes for like a really simple quarantine. You have empty hotels. Well, there, there's what? a nice there's a nice segue if you want to go for the the new MLB proposal. What do you think of that? Um, the 10, 10 team divisions, uh, no interleague games, no interleague play, right? No interleague play. You're only going to play nine other teams, which um, you're going to end up with some some regional rivalries that already exist. Like Cubs and Cardinals are going to play a ton. Uh, you know, Sox and Cubs won't play because there's no interleague. But, you know, you're going to have Yankees and Red Sox as they always do playing. You're going to have all of these other regional um, sort of uh, bad blood in a in a pressure chamber of a 100-game season is what they're aiming for. And I think that baseball is going to be um, – I think baseball's in a really bad spot. I think basketball can go on without fans. It's going to feel different, but – it's it's a hot enough commodity that it's going to be okay. I think baseball with no fans and minimal. I mean, viewer, you're going to see a spike in viewership the mm-hmm. first three weeks of the season because everyone missed it, and then I think it's going to regress back to the mean. And you're going to have a lot of trees falling in the woods with no one to hear it. Um, I, I love baseball. You love baseball. But even though I love baseball, I can do without baseball for a little bit of time. Like not, re- I'm not saying it's harder now because I know it's not there. Yeah. But when baseball's going on, I can go a full week without sitting down and watching, you know, six innings of a baseball game. Obviously, work we work in sports. Yeah. We see all the highlights. We know what's going on, and that's how I like to digest baseball. Is 90 seconds, two and a half minutes at a time. Like that's, it's a, it's a harsh reality and we're, we're scratching the surface of a different conversation here, but uh, no plan that I've heard thus far makes me think that baseball is going to come out of this unscathed and no one's coming out of it unscathed. I, I, I understand that, but I think baseball is going to be the most effective because of the position they were in coming into this. Baseball is the most, uh, I don't know how to fragile. 
It's the, uh, it's, it's uh, I know what you were saying and that, you know, you can go a week or so without, you know, sitting down and watching a full baseball game or full five or six innings. I'm not quite that way, even without work. Like I, I love sitting down and watching baseball games, but baseball is the most, uh, you know, in person, it, it, people love consuming that in person so much more than TV as, as oh, opposed yeah. to just any like hockey, basketball, it moves quick enough where, yeah, you can sit down you can watch it in, you know, two hours, be done with the game. But like you said, there, there's not many people sitting down for, you know, the, the four and a half hours of a Yankees Red Sox game mm-hmm. uh, for nine innings. And while people will do that to start, start things off because we'll be so sports deprived and even if basketball or something is back, people will still be so into it when it pops back. Um, I think you're right. I think they will have, issues getting people to tune in at least for you know full games after the first you know couple weeks of the season especially when when you got the same teams playing over and over again you don't have kind of that you know spread out schedule playing everybody else when you're just kind of playing the same five or whatever eight or nine teams it would be uh might get a little bit repetitive and with no fans in the stands no crowd going wild when you know someone hits a walk-off home run it's gonna have it's gonna take a little bit of the drama out of it as well which mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the one thing that baseball has does. I mean, that just the game does a little bit better or has more of than anybody else is those late game moments when you, I think the drama of a baseball game, you know, late in the bottom of the ninth, with the bases loaded, tied, or you know, down two runs. There's more drama to that than any other late game moment in any other sport. But without the fans, that kind of loses the the buzz, the feel to it. If that makes sense, it totally does. And I think that my biggest note here is that. I'll believe it when I see it. Baseball has been, in, in every single way, the league that has leaked the most information. Um, you know, we've known a lot about what's going on in MMA. We've known a lot about what's going on in other places. Basketball has held their cards close to their chest. Football hasn't had to do much outside of the NFL draft, which, which we will get to here in a couple minutes. But baseball has just spit out and regurgitated these plans one more crazy than the other. I'll believe it when I see it. It's tough. It's big rosters. It's a lot of people. It's physio. It's managers. It's uh, advertising teams. It's marketing. There's a lot other than the not, than you know than your lineup one through nine. Um, there's a lot that needs to be figured out. So the fact that they just keep regurgitating and spitting out like different harebrained schemes makes me believe that we might not be as close as we may think in terms of baseball having a concrete plan. You know, there have been whispers, people saying, and, you know, stuff from, you know, inside that you kind of hear that July kind of sounds like the the time where you might start seeing Fourth of July. Is, you know, yeah, early July, first weekend of July, Fourth of July would be a logical, you know, starting kickoff point for that. That's when I would expect. I think to, I said June at the beginning of the podcast. Meant to say July. I apologize. That's okay. That, that was, that's when yeah. I, I'm with you. I would expect to kind of see things. Just like you said, we, it seems like there's a different plan. You know, every couple of weeks, which is fine. That means they're pushing out ideas and quite honestly adapting yeah, to the you new. You got to, but shut up and give us the one that's the plan. Well, it's it's, <laughs> like, it's baseball's way. Of, it's baseball's way of trying to stay in the news too, because like you said, oh, they're, they're always well, no, no. They're they're playing. A, they play a backseat to the NBA, they play a backseat to the NFL, and there is still a market, like, people still want to see the start of this baseball season, and, you know, coming out with these ideas, you know, just having these ideas leaked is Here's another an way idea. of having them get talked about a little bit more. Here's an idea. Do do something to promote your players in this time. Okay, well, yeah. Why are we not, why are we not seeing 
Mike Trout? Why are we not seeing John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge? They did. They no. have taken a uh, a page from the NBA's playbook. The NBA did that NBA 2K tournament. They are yeah, doing which and, is and, trash. Well, I but, know, but it's it's a way. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about marketing players getting their faces on TV. They are doing a. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. No one knows that anybody. What what can they do with them? play video games? Yeah. Um, well, Matt, Lucas we Giolito is doing well in that tournament, by the way. Fantastic. Sox and are we're happy for him. Um, we do have some concrete news to get to, and that is can I, a little, wait, uh, before we move that draft can I, recap. Can I tell you the best thing, the, the best news of all this? You know, sports starting to come back in the news. You know, plans being thrown out of when things might come back. Joe, what's that, Matt? Starting May first, golf courses in Illinois are back. Yeah, but don't you have to like play in two subs and you have care. to and you have to backpedal. I don't walk care. Forward. I can go on a um, golf course and swing a golf club. That's all you I have really to care play. About. You have to play balada balls, and you're not allowed to putt at the cup. Like there's like a bunch of rules. Hey Joe, rules. I yeah. get to go. I get to go to a golf course. I get to play golf. I get to swing a golf club. I get to be outside. Yeah, I have to play with one. It's, a, it's uh, only two subs. And time, you know, tee times are spread out 15 minutes apart. I just want to get back on the course. It's a chance. Let's to do not that. pretend like the good folks at Lost Dunes aren't going to let the go out as a nine sum if they want to, uh, right? Maybe not in not not in quarantine <laughs> time. <laughs> not in, not in these quarantine times. Uh, but no, it is it, it is a great thing for and the for Michigan golfers. courses are opening up too, um, which is probably more important for me. But yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, no, that's that's huge for. I know that people are getting stir crazy. They need things to do. We need to keep the game uh, stimulated, and um, you know, this is the time of year that everyone's crazy excited about it because you just came out of a a four, five, maybe even six month span where you haven't swung a club and you know, you're trying to figure out where the game's at right now and, and golfers in Illinois haven't been able to do that. I was lucky enough to get about a month and a half of golf yeah. in before they shut down out here in Connecticut and um, no signs on when they're reopening uh, my course, but there are a couple upstate New York that I'd be able to get to. Uh, not too difficult to uh, go play over there, but um, it was you know, a, it was a tough go. I played on Sunday. It was a tough because not only are had I not swung golf club in a while, but you know driving uh-huh. ranges aren't open, which that's something I'm not sure I totally understand. But that's a different question. But driving ranges weren't open, so I hadn't swung golf club in two months. hadn't you know been on a driving range, gotten a chance to warm up. So the first first hole or two were a little bit interesting, but we got it figured out. Played a little bit better down the down the stretch there. The, the last you know couple holes, but it was it was nice. It was nice to be back. Very nice. Um, Matt, as, as we were moving along here, we do have NFL Draft recap to get to here. Top of the board, no surprise, really chalk, just about one through six uh, from Joe Burrow to the next two quarterbacks going off, five and six, and Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert. Uh, Bears fans sat and watched idly as, uh, you know, we just kind of banked our Khalil Mack uh, trade, and obviously – We'd feel a lot better about it if uh, last season went a little bit differently, at least individually for Khalil. He was still a force. All the pro football focus numbers indicate such. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't the season number one that we had with him. I still think that we won the trade there. I still think we ended up in a fantastic situation. Um, But we did have to watch and wait until until the second round. Matt, what did you make of the Bears selections in the – that was early second and then – 43 and 50. And then – that was late second. It was so we had two yeah. seconds and then nothing until the fifth. It was slim pickings, and just to glaze over it here, 
I was very impressed what with what the Bears did with their first two picks. I can't really assess the talent five and beyond. Mm-hmm. They know far more than we do. But um, your initial thoughts on the Bears draft class? Uh, I really liked it. I think you and I were texting back and forth. I think we both said on the podcast, you know, Grant Delpit was the guy we both kind of wanted. Um, yeah. That said, with Cole Komet there on the board, and I... I I even said on the podcast last week I wanted more of a, a chase, I wanted Chase Claypool because I think the the ta- the talent ceiling is is incredibly high with him. But after seeing kind of Matt Nagy's quotes and saying we have you know Jimmy Graham for that U position uh, they needed you know a traditional Y tight end that you kind of talked about last week mm-hmm. on the podcast. I love the Cole Komet pick. You look at you know the Eagles offenses, the Chiefs offenses, the one that Matt Nagy's come from. The one thing they kind of have in common in common is they have that Y position that can. You know, stretch the field a little bit, be a force running routes in the middle, but also you know, be a be a banger. He can block too. Uh, that is such a not just those offenses, but any offense. I mean, that's that these offenses, you know, more than yeah. anything else. And Cole Komet was the best guy on the board. I I really going into this draft, you, you saw a lot of people saying, you know, that would be a good pick if he was there at forty three. And then for some reason, when they take him on, you know, on Twitter, you, you see all the reactions like. Oh, what do they need another tight end for? And people start going off on how the pick's terrible, even though you know a week ago they were saying he's a first round value, which he was. Um, I love the pick. Obviously, they're not going to have ten tight ends on the roster. They've already waived one of them. They're going to waive about six or seven more. Um, it was a position of need. They need weapons. Their defense is fine. And if you yeah. look at Dion Bush, is he? The best option as your every down safety, probably not. But we've seen him in bits and pieces the last couple of years, and he's been pretty serviceable, especially next to a guy like Eddie Jackson and in a defense that's as talented and as deep as that. Yeah, that's probably a guy that if you bring in, you know, another cheap-ish safety that you think has you can provide a little bit in certain situations, you have a pretty good safety tandem back there. And Dion Bush just signed an extension. As much as I would like Grant Delpit, you know, defensive backs are never a sure thing. Yeah. Um, you needed you needed offensive help. They went out and they got offensive help, and then arguably the more important defensive back position to help corner, unless you wanted Kevin Tolliver as you know your projected starting cornerback, which you probably don't, or at least want more options. They went out and a guy again who was assessed as a possible first round talent. Granted, he's had the injury issues, but he played through those at Utah, so that's something I think you like to see as well. Uh, they went out and got a first round talent at corner, which. Um, it seems like the value they got at their spots in the second round, granted, was a pretty deep draft. That's what uh, they did a pretty our, good job. Not to cut you off here, but that's what a great point that our guy Pete Prisco on CBS Sports HQ made was the Bears didn't have a ton of capital, but they went out and got two potential first round talents in the second round. You mm-hmm. can't really ask for much more than that. Um, and and to go off of what you're saying here with the tight end situation and there being an exorbitant amount of tight ends on the roster right now, I believe 10, um, it's a 90-man roster. There'll be three there uh, when it gets cut down to 55 or whatever mm-hmm. it is this year, 56. Um, It'll be Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, and their favorite blocking, you know, probably blocking yeah. tight end. And uh, not to allude once again to our show here, but um, our guy Scott Pioli, who is responsible for you know, drafting Tom Brady 199th overall and winning executive of the year five times over with the Patriots. Um, he said, you know, Cole Komet might be the 10th uh, tight end on the Bears roster, but he's the first one that matters. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I don't care what, how many guys you have. If none of them are serviceable, you don't have a tight end. You got to still go get a tight end. And as you said, in the offense, in the scheme, a lot of those schemes are predicated on tight end play, and you have a guy who's 
you know, garnering Kyle Rudolph, Jason Witten type comps with his ability to put his hand in the ground and stretch the field vertically a little bit. I do still balk at the idea of paying Jimmy Graham. Different conversation. You're still in a situation where you need an every down tight end. They went out and facilitated that need, getting a Mm -hmm. first round talent in the second round. And then, you know, Jalen Johnson, I can't sit here and claim that I know a ton about him, but the tape we saw and everything that, you know, all of the talent assessors are saying, well, damn, we just got a hell of a player there too. So I'm happy with it. I was not, my expectation, and I think I made it clear last week, extremely low in terms of this draft class for the Bears because you didn't have a lot of capital to move around. You didn't have a lot of, you know, you don't have players that you're intending on moving for more Mm -hmm. draft capital. They were a bit handcuffed, and and with what they did handcuffed, I was very happy. Yeah, it it seemed like the trading up to get, what was it, Travis Gibson was, seems like a little bit of an interesting choice, but if you identify that guy, they'll probably have some sort of compensation pick next year in the fourth round. So, I I mean, fourth round picks are somewhat expendable. If If you can manipulate the draft in ways, if you really want to, to recoup that pick back, maybe not in that same exact spot, but get back into the fourth round. So that uh, I'm not terribly worried about. But yeah, it's you said it very perfectly. They did a great job grabbing first-round values. Granted, it was a deep draft, so multiple teams were kind of able to grab some first-round values in the second mm-hmm. second round. But without having a first-round, you know, uh, without having a first-round pick, they were able to get guys who had first-round draft grades. And yeah. Cole Komet was a rumored target of the Patriots, and obviously they ended up trading back, which is just so what they do. But <laughs> if if the if Bill Belichick was interested in Cole Komet, I consider that a win. Yeah. Um, I liked it. I mean, and, and you know what really made this draft experience a positive one for me? So watching the Green Bay Packers absolutely. Let's talk about that. Just, just absolutely soil themselves in front of the nation. Sure, like the- everyone was watching. It's the most watched draft in the history of this spectacular extravaganza. People are sitting at home watching Zoom meetings on ESPN, watching Commissioner Goodell, you know, take his Ambien too soon and fall asleep in his chair at the end of the first round. Like, expecting his was, wife to be like, come down and have to read some things, but him just passed out on that love seat. It was in a moment in NFL history, and the Packers go ahead and piss off the already pissed off Aaron Rodgers. That's what I, I don't. Not just selecting Jordan Love, trading up to go get Jordan Love. They then tout all the Packers fans in my timeline and my family members that have gone to the dark side. It's a deep draft. There's receivers all over the place. That's where Nine I have the biggest. selections later, no wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers. I have like, no problem with them. I, and I got some, took some flack for this. I think the bigger pro- flack is how they handled it. But I had no problem with them identifying a quarterback. It's the same, same way they kind of did with Rodgers. That's the guy they kind of want to be next. They, they want to have a contingency plan. They want to have a talented guy who, while he might not learn a lot under Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers holds grudges and probably won't talk to the kid, um, he can learn from watching. He can learn from sitting on the bench, being in film rooms, whatever, high-ceiling kind of guy. Um, but not letting Aaron Rodgers know you might draft a quarterback and then also, like you said, not getting a single wide receiver. I, I don't really understand it. Uh, their you offensive line is solid. They had, their offensive line was solid. You know, they had pretty good. I mean, they have a very good running back. Their defense was much improved, played a lot better last year. The one kind of thing outs, they, they really, really needed outside of Devontae Adams, no wide receivers. And 
in the deepest wide receiver draft that people have said, you know, five, 10 years, you don't come away with one. Like I, I get the whole Jordan Love thing. I even get trading up for him because the Colts and the Patriots were there at the beginning of the second round and rumored to be interested in, you know, possibly thinking about moving back into the first round. That was a real thing. And if you were worried about losing your guy, fine. But not having one single wide receiver, not one single option is jarring to me. I just don't get it. You were 13-3. and three. You appeared in the NFC Championship game. You got dismantled by one team in the NFC twice in one season. You obviously know what needs to be done between the end of 2019 and kickoff of 2020 to make you a better football team, more prepared to take on the 49ers or whoever is going to be the gold standard next year. The Packers somehow are always right there. And somehow they're always not good enough. And they've once again stepped in their own shit. Pardon my language. It's okay. We, a, we don't have an explicit tag, but maybe that will be a 10 to 13 credit. win team that does nothing to be remembered by history that does everything in the world to discredit the talent of Aaron Rodgers. For Packers fans to stand up and protect management for making these types of decisions is absolutely disgraceful and gutless. It is the most Green Bay Packers approach of all time that we are the Packers, we're holier than thou, our people know what they're doing. No, they don't. I gotta be honest with you. No, they didn't this year. The Packers fans that I've seen talk to on my timeline, I'm getting the opposite. They're oh, pretty I've dealt with a lot of. I've dealt I'm not with a lot of. Um, I'm just saying yeah. the ones that I've personally, you know, know, talked to, whatever, seen. A lot of them are in up in arms with you. Like we have Aaron Rodgers. They we just be. signed him for three, four more years. Why are we disrespecting Aaron Rodgers? We know he's not uh, fragile. Is not the wrong word. We know he's. Um, he holds a grudge more than anyone. Yes. Believe. he's a grudge yeah, holder know, who. Hey, Say he's what gonna, you want, not about his personal life, but he has distanced himself from numerous things, teammates, families. He's been uh, It's been like, trouble in paradise with the Packers the last few years, too. Like He's not on the best road, like, even though they went out and got him a new coach. Coaches. He seems to like. like it still not doesn't seem to be in the best standing. And, uh, Peter King reported, and I don't think Peter King would lie about that or wouldn't say if you didn't know it, Aaron Rodgers is, quote, pissed, which makes sense. Um I, I, I think in the next, I think in the next year or two, you're going to see him force his way out of there. I, I'm not just saying this. I wish here, Matt. and force his he way has, into Chicago. He has, I believe, no, that's not because going he holds there, a grudge and he wants he to stick it to the out, Packers. He has an out two years from now, I believe. And All right, so Nick Foles holds down the four for two years, then he signs here. Done. No, I'm trying to be realistic about this. I, so I don't I. think I don't I think, think that's Aaron very Rogers realistic. Is, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is ever a Chicago Bear. Would I? Would I? Would I have some sort of boneheded um, feeling? That man, that, no, we can't. We let talked him about Packer. it. No, that I man, I, like, I drive him here him, myself. Welcome him to Chicago. Have him win a championship. That would be the ultimate trump card over the Packers. That forever, man ever, holds ever. a grudge more than more realistically, any athlete I've ever seen. More realistically, well, maybe not Michael Jordan, but we'll get to. That. I think that Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of either the Los Angeles Chargers or the Los Angeles Rams in two years. I think there's too much golf money there for him to be a Rams quarterback in two years. I don't think they'll have paid off enough, but two years from now, they could be ready to just give him the money and say, get the hell out of here. So does that mean you think Justin Herbert's a bust? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. 100%. Okay. Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert won't start three years from now. Justin Herbert won't be a starter in the NFL. No chance. I, I think that Justin Herbert was 
every year, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, every year there is someone who is the beneficiary of really good press. And I think that the Tua situation set up perfectly for us to look towards, if not Tua, then who? Yeah. You know, Tua's hurt. The Dolphins need a quarterback. Who's it going to be at number five? Who's it going to be at number six? Who's it going to be at number five? We start talking about this guy as a top five talent because we have to, not because he is. You know, tell me how many Justin Herbert touchdowns you watched last year real time. And I know it's Pac-12. I know it's on late. But if anyone's watching it, it's you, Runes. It's true. From what I saw out of Justin Herbert, we're talking about a second-round quarterback there. This was not the quarterback draft. The echo chamber made it such. It was Joe Burrow. It was Tua, if healthy, and then it was everybody else. Jordan Love, okay, uh, like it was. Fun. It was two Justin very. Herbert, it was two very high end talents, and then a bunch of guys that were late first round. Early here's what it is, guys. Justin Herbert is much more Jordan Love than he is Tua Tagovailoa in terms of draft stock. He should have been a late first round, early second round type pick. He's another Oregon quarterback that I just don't see it panning out because those Pac-12 offenses and Pac-12 defenses, more importantly, don't challenge these guys and don't prepare them for the NFL. It's going to be a lot thrown at him. I, I don't even know if he starts this year with Terod Taylor there. I, I just, I'm Quite not, honestly, I'm he not, probably shouldn't start this year. I, I'm I, not I'm, a Justin Herbert believer. I'm going to have to see it in order to believe. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit fault more than anyone. I'm, getting, I'm already ready to admit Kyler Murray fault with the team that hey. Arizona has constructed around him. Like if Kyler Murray just keeps it, you know, if he gets a little better than last year, they are going to win six games and prove me wrong in my prediction that Kyler Murray would never win six or more games in an NFL season. They have an awesome roster right now. Um, they went and got Isaiah Simmons in the first round. They have DeAndre that's your, Hopkins. That's your guy. They have DeAndre Hopkins as another target. They shared up their, um, I believe they went in defensive line mid-draft. They shared up the front seven. I don't remember, to be honest with you, who else they took after Isaiah Simmons. I think that, I think that the Arizona Cardinals have positioned themselves nicely in a very, very competitive dis- uh, division. Um, could could the Chargers at some point in the next three years do that to prove me wrong on a, on a Herbert um, prognostication here? Perhaps. I just don't see it. Yeah, he's tall and looks like a quarterback. Has anyone ever heard the human being speak? Has anyone ever heard the man utter a word? What's the leadership like? What's the presence like? What's the... Uh, what's the... What are the, what's the likelihood of this man leading a franchise into a brand new building and having the, you know, the guts to get it done? I, I can't say I've ever heard Justin Herbert speak. I, we just, I, got, through, I we just I, got through draft. We just got through draft season where we were running sound bites every single day of these first rounders, second rounders of what they think they could be at the next level. I remember running a bunch of VO at Justin Herbert, and I don't think that's my producer's fault. I don't. I mean, I. I I haven't heard him uh, that I can recall do much talking. That said, I, I have, like you said, I have watched him play a lot because a, I'm a college football junkie. B, I'm a late night person, so I'm usually up watching those Pac-12 games, anyways. And I love what I saw from a leadership standpoint from him on the field. I, I think in the Rose Bowl, I think he proved a lot. I think you saw some games where he was at uh, one where was at USC. He had some tough games on the road at Washington. A tough game on the road at Matt, Washington. I, I, Joe, you got to Matt, talk. The Rose Bowl, I know, but the Rose Bowl. Is a hundred and twenty point game every season now? Wasn't this year? What was it? It's a thirty to twenty eight back and forth game. Oh yeah, yeah, they, yeah. And then they they scored late because yeah, but yeah. they were playing Wisconsin. They were, that doesn't matter. 
Okay. That's Why do, what, that slows, did, did they played Wisconsin? That doesn't matter. That what, what does that mean? Things. I'm saying the Pac-12 side of things is not challenging. The Pac, the Pac-12 is Which is, is a lesser. It might be. It might be power be five. They are. They are allowed to be taken. Take them where they're supposed to be, not with the fifth overall pick. I think Justin, have, Herbert, Justin Herbert to me is a guy that he's not going to work in every situation, but if you get him in the right situation in a right franchise, that he can be a successful quarterback. And I think if you rush him into this, like you said, he's not going to be good. But you kind of said it, you know, half jokingly that he might not start over Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod, Tyrod, we talked no, about I, this. No, I 100 believe Tyrod Taylor. I would, I would be a start Tyrod. Tyrod Taylor is a professional quarterback. You can learn from him. I would have Justin Herbert sit a year because I think these guys who aren't quite ready, who show some. I mean, there's a reason Justin Herbert was touted as the number one overall pick two years ago, um, because he does have a lot of tools. I just think he needs to sit and learn for about a year, hopefully just a year I, I totally for a little bit under experience. But that. in the right franchise, in the right spot, mm. if you give him a chance to learn, I, I think he can be successful. I think it was a yes. It was a reach. He pro- he was not a number six. I think it was a reach in two ways. It was a reach in the in the point that I made about you know someone having to be the other option for Tua and that automatically lifting their name into the top five, top ten, and the second um, twofold here is the fact that Herbert being a a body being a you know, being we like to we like to have a smarter than you pick every year. Mitch Trubisky was a smarter than you pick. I don't. I'm not. I'm not calling Herbert a smarter than you pick. I think. I think Justin Herbert was a smarter than you pick. I think it's a. You know, situationally, the 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 Chargers did need a quarterback, but this is a point in NFL history unlike any other where you have the leading passer from the year prior available on the free agent market. You have a former MVP available on the free agent market. Going with Justin Herbert is leveraging your franchise on an unknown commodity. And I understand that's what the NFL draft is in totality is you're, you're making futures bets on young men and their ability to be effective in the NFL. I think it was a little bit worse, smarter than you. Uh, we're, we got this Pac-12 guy who maybe, um, you know, who maybe didn't get the national notoriety, but we think he has all the tools. And if we mold those tools properly, but that's what a drafting project. a quarterback is. He's a project, yeah. But I think what, some more than others. Maybe he's more of the. Maybe you're right. Maybe Herbert's more of the project pick. Jordan loves more of the smarter than you pick. Yeah, I mean, that, um, if, whereas. Whereas no, the I two guys, Jaylen, prior, I think Jalen Hurts is probably from to Philly is probably yeah. smarter than you pick. But we don't I, I'm not as that. I'm not as hard on that as, as everyone else has been. I, no, I'm not tough. either. I just it's that, tough that with a second a... rounder. Maybe you trade that second round, or you trade back later into the second round, or into the early third round, and take them if you really have them tabbed. But you know th- that's a franchise. The same fans that were heralding Nick Foles as the savior that want the statue are the same fans who are giving. Eagles management a tough time for having a really, really serviceable backup. Mm-hmm. A, a guy who, if your starter does go down, which he has shown the propensity to do so, um, you can hopefully pick up where you left off with a talented quarterback as your backup. So I think there's just, I think it's tough there because, you know, another scenario where we need a wide receiver, we need pieces, and you go out and you get a quarterback competition for the guy that you just threw a guaranteed nine figures at. Um, you can frame it that way, but you can also frame it the way of 
uh, Carson Wentz, we believe in, but we also believe that he has missed a ton of time. He hasn't in played his a NFL full season. Career. Yeah. We also believe that we might have to pay this man his guaranteed money and move on, and we want to be ready to move on. Um, did they reach? Did they go early? Yes. But um, I think that having Jalen Hurts in your building is only a good thing. Oh, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't uh, disagree. I don't disagree with that pick, but that also, like, I didn't disagree with the Packers pick either. But I just thought for a team at that point with other needs, that might have been a work. I, I think totally. the, the reports too of them possibly using him at running back might be a little bit. We're trying to be smarter than you. We found something we can do, and it might might not work. That said, Joe, I get, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. You sound like a guy who just sat through and anchored an eight hour draft show the other day. I did, and I you talked do. about way too many of these guys. But and, I also, I know, in a very, very good way, it shows. You have, I am, I, I'd like to think I paid attention to the draft. I know a lot about these guys. You sound like a guy who is very, you've spoken on them, and listened to a lot of experts talk about them, retained a lot of knowledge, and informed some very, very strong that's what good it opinions. Is. It's not, it's not my knowledge. It's no, you've, not, you've listened to. I mean, you had an eight-hour show. It's you asking, probably my had job is to, tens of experts my job is, in there. My job is to ask the question and reveal these answers for everyone that's watching. And in most times, they're not. I'm revealing those answers for deep. myself as well. Mm-hmm. But the benefit that I have here is I get to hear that answer from man. On our draft show, we had probably twelve different insiders, experts, analysts, and writers. Twelve to fifteen guys, all with a variation of a different opinion. One on a complete different side of the spectrum than the other. We have people who hated the Hertz pick. We have mm-hmm. people who made the point in a way that I was just trying to make. So getting being able to hear the full spectrum of answers, you kind of find where you land on these things. And what I found is that in this class, the 2020 draft class, we talked a lot about quarterbacks and it wasn't a quarterback class. I, I really think, and I, I felt this way coming into it, and it was only a, reaffirmed uh, by hearing our experts speak and our analysts that this was a two quarterback draft and we made it something much more. Um, and time, only time will tell, as is the case with all of these different positions. Next year is is going to be the quarterback class. I mean, I mean at least it's we know it's one deep, uh, possibly two deep. But I, I think that in times we talk about these positions, we talk about these players, and, and we fall so in love with the idea of them at the next level that we don't step back and say, "Hey, this guy was productive and a leader." This guy was just productive. Usually the productive leader is the guy that has the future. You know, we get so in love with measurables and numbers that we don't look at the fact that Joe Burrow was able to come into a program and in two years' time take them from, I won't say obscurity, but not the level that LSU once was at, to the most unstoppable force that college football has ever seen from an offensive standpoint. And that's not to, sc- to like scoff at their defense, mm-hmm. but from an offensive standpoint, what Joe Burrow did in 365 days, let's even give him the, the half of the year after the season prior, in 400 days, tells me that the kid knows how to lead, that he knows how to take coaching, that he is effective both in the classroom and on the field. And I use classroom in the football term. I don't know yeah. what sort of student he was, but like... In, we know what you meant there. In processing the film defenses the, in the film room. Whereas like, again, I'm going to ask you the question, what do we know about Justin Herbert that he was able to... In, in, that he was able to, in a Rose Bowl setting, a, a, a fantastic setting, um, in front of 
thousands and thousands of fans against an okay Wisconsin team go out and win a duel. Great. Great. That is one data point that we could take in and feel good about Justin Herbert. We know what Joe Burrow is. Now you put him into a situation in Cincinnati, what will he become? That's the question. You made the point of quarterbacks and situations. That is the biggest factor. Yeah. But in projecting futures, you have to know your commodity. We know Joe Burrow. There's a question around Tua's uh, health, but in terms of his brain for the game, his ability to execute, and his ability to capture the moment, we know what Tua is. Well, the I, question I, mark relies around his health. I will There's say... more question marks beyond those that, guys that I'm just not comfortable with. For, well, first off, I don't think anybody here is comparing... Justin Herbert to Joe Burrow. I, I think, like you said, I mean, they were for, only for whatever apart, Matt. For what? Okay, yeah. I, I, let me let me get this. There. Is my point? Here. I know, but can I you just you know let, let me t- you talk just go let ahead, me talk go ahead. First, I, I will say it, going into this draft, it was very clearly a two quarterback draft, and the only reason Herbert started to creep up there is because of injury concerns with Tua. If there were if there wasn't that hip injury, I, I don't think anybody would have had you know Justin Herbert graded higher. Yeah. Um, second. I know we technically haven't heard much of Justin Herbert from a leadership standpoint, much from a talking standpoint. I don't think that's a ton new from a, from Pac-12 players outside of people that play at USC. That said, all these guys, these you know the the these scouts, the general managers, they've probably talked to just about anybody or everybody that matters that might be able to tell them about that, be able to tell them about leadership skills. And I don't think coaches are going to lie and you know ruin relationship with managers about you know this kid's leadership skills so if if those are communicated positively like that's not something we know but that's something that that they know they've done their research on um and also this this whole idea of taking risks on quarterbacks like it's not new like yeah they Mitch Trubisky uh, not Mitch Trubisky Kyler Murray was a second round grade by some people and he was jumped up to take first overall Baker Mayfield was you know, three years ago, not even on the radar of NFL teams. His first year at Oklahoma was considered maybe a late-round pick. And even before the Browns took him, people had him, you know, as a late first-round, early second-round pick. Keep going. I, I'm not throw, more, throw more names at me. Throw Because I want you're proving my point right now. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, wait, 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 are your wait. case studies? Keep no, going I, back. I, I, Keep going I, back at the quarterbacks I, that franchises take chances I, on and see I'm how often it works. Like, that's what happens in the NFL draft now is these teams who are desperate for quarterbacks feel they have to take these these jumps and they have to roll the dice and you have to hope and you're putting them in the job. right situation. And, and it's I, my I think job if you to look sit at Baker here and Mayfield, tell them when they're wrong. I think if you put Baker Mayfield in the right situation, not just threw him into Cleveland and have him start, it might be different. Kyler Murray, you had to throw him in right away. And like you said, you're already starting to – feel a little bit like you might be wrong on that one because he's of got the a pieces good, around exactly him. so if the chargers can put a good team around justin Herbert, you know put the talented, right pieces around him have him sit you know how talented the cleveland browns were they had the Baker worst Mayfield offensive line an off season the, doing but they had Baker the worst Mayfield offensive line in football and it wasn't close yeah but okay matt it, it's offensive. hard it's, it's it, that's great if you have odell beckham and jarvis landry on the outside but if you're got a defensive lineman in your face one second in after taking a snap it's really hard to find those guys okay then I, then i'll give you another season on baker mayfield and you'll see that he's not the answer i'm not saying he's I, i'm saying he was put into you're a bad situation point, not Matt. given a chance to start i'm saying these guys these teams taking risk on quarterback isn't something new i just don't know why you're so no, shocked no it's not it's not new why it's so surprising it's still, to you but it's not surprising it's not new but it's still wrong it's still wrong especially this year when there are options at the quarterback position not long-term options, but there are options. It was the wide, the most wide-open quarterback free agency market in NFL history. Show me a year that was anything like this year where the greatest of all time, 
a passing leader, someone who's thrown for thousands and thousands of yards. Well, the Chargers, the Chargers came away with one. They came away with their free agent, whatever. Tried, did they trade for or sign Terod Taylor? I don't remember. They okay. came away with Matt, their veteran option, and they came away Matt, with their young guy. I'm talking about Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Nick Foles, who is one of – we traded for Foles, so not a free agent. Yes. So Tom Brady, Philip Rivers – Jameis Winston, Cam Newton. I'm talking about proven talent in the NFL. Say what you want about Jameis's decision making. He's better than Baker Mayfield. Say what you want about Cam Newton's Cam Newton's uh, his health and, and his ability to stay on the field. He's better and more proven than Kyler Murray. There are proven commodities and teams continue to take chances on something that they hope is going to work out long term when they know it's not gonna. But if you if you go out and sign Cam Newton, all you're doing is hoping he can stay healthy, is hoping he can re- recapture form at age 32. Recapture form. I mean, he's he was he's he's effective when he's on the football field. Joe, he lost and like eight straight football games. He literally he lost like eight consecutive starts, something along the lines of that. Like he he was not effective. He was terrible. I mean, granted, while he he was either quote unquote playing injured before he got sidelined, he lost like I, I remember the stat on Thursday Night Football. An insane I'd, amount of consecutive football I'd games for roll Cam out, I'd roll out my team with Cam Newton before I would with Justin Herbert, Terod Taylor, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and a, and a litany of other players. My point is that front offices continue to try and be right about quarterbacks when they that know is a it's good not point. there. I would when say they no, know it's, it's not, not there. there. They're go- there's, they're, and there has to be something in the back of these executive heads knowing that it's not going to you work. You know what out. it is? It's I agree like, with you. I agree with you that the Cleveland Browns botched it and didn't put the right help around Baker Mayfield in terms of offensive line. Instead, they went out and got two of the biggest wide receiver names in the NFL. Not going to work. I, I agree with you in the sense that Kyler Murray could still be good uh, with these pieces around him. We'll see. But these are these are high risk, low reward situations where if you can get into a minimal risk minimal reward situation, you got to go that route. That's why I like what the Bears did with getting Nick Foles. Yes, it did cost us, but we are mitigating risk around Mitch Trubisky. That's something and, where and I can was, agree with you. And is, it was, and it was would, our front office's indication that, hey, we might have been f***ing wrong. Whereas, you know, Bears fans have felt that over the last four years, up and down with Mitch, and we've ridden that roller coaster. But for a front office to indicate that, hey, we made the wrong decision. That's a lot where of front I agree offices with you aren't, aren't willing to do that. And they're setting themselves up to have to make that decision in three years in drafting guys like Justin Herbert. And that's my point. So I guess, and this is an extreme situation, it rarely ever works out this way, but didn't the Chiefs jump and you know, take a huge risk on Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, but Pat Mahomes they took him was... Because they took him at 10th overall. He was projected to be... At best, a late first-round pick, early second, more realistically, a early second, mid-second round pick. They traded up, That's- they identified their guy, and they put him in the right situation with the right weapons, the right coach around him. That's the thing with these teams is they, they, they're they mostly wrong, but it, it's like 
when it's like but, when it just let me just please and then then you can go it's like when the the girl or the guy sees like a person they're attracted to but they've been in a lot of toxic relationships but you kind of have that i can fix him like or i can fix her like i know how to handle this I'll, i have I, i'm the right situation i can put them in the right situation i can be that person and then you bring them in and it almost never really works that way but you have you're blinded by you know your, your own ambition and that you think you can make this happen you can make this work it rarely does but there are cases like in Patrick Mahomes, who I mean, honestly, is incredibly talented too, has an insane arm. But you sometimes have to take that risk because sometimes it is worth it more than trying to sign the same tired veteran or you know one tired tired veteran who's really good five six years ago. That's it. I like what the Bears did because in their spot, they pretty much drafted Nick Foles in the fourth round of the draft, and I really like that. It's not like they took an old washed up guy; they took a guy who's two years fresh off a Super Bowl MVP. Um, but Sometimes you have to jump up and take that risk. Is it going to work out? Usually not. But if there's that minor chance that it's going to, look what happened to the Chiefs. And yes, that and I know that's one example, and it, it, it's a little bit of an extreme. I'll one, give you, but, but and, I'll, and I'll and I'll give for you every two one example. For I'll every one example, examples. there's ten that didn't work. But if your uh, your odds are a ten percent chance that you're going to draft, you know, the next Patrick Mahomes or guy just below him, don't you kind of have to roll that dice sometimes? Yes. But it's less of a dice roll if your organization has a history of being right. If but you're every, advanced, but that's, if you're I agree, but everyone scout, thinks they're going to be right. Like no one th- goes into the okay. draft thinking they're going to. Don't be have so much confidence in yourself if you have no track record. The Kansas City. That's Chiefs, a fair point. I'll the give Kansas you that. City Chiefs drafted Tyreek Hill in the fifth round and Travis Kelsey in the third round. They have a history of getting it right. They have a history of doing this productively. So yes, their advanced scouting is on point. Are you going to tell me that the Chargers' advanced scouting is on point with what their team looks like right now? What are their big names that they got right? Melvin Gordon and uh, Joey Bosa Derwin can't James. miss. Can't miss guys. Derwin James can't miss guys. Show me the last like fifth rounder that panned out to define the game the way Tyreek Hill has. Do you see how teams are drafting wide receivers over the past weekend? Undersized guys that run four threes. They're reaching for that because everyone wants the next Tyreek Hill. Well, the Chiefs found him in the fifth round in 2016. Like, that's a franchise that isn't taking chances. They're taking calculated risks because that's what the draft is. Some teams, some franchises are taking calculated risks. Others are guessing. I think that Justin Herbert and the Chargers falls more in the guessing realm than uh, than Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs taking a calculated risk. You very at well someone, might be at right. Someone that they believed in and did the homework on. You very well might be right, but like none of these guys and none of these franchises are going to go into the draft, you know, thinking, ah, you know what? I just kind of half-ass this one. I, I'm not going to take risks. I'm not going to. They don't think they're guessing. No, but that's that. That's why there's. That's why there are the Patriots of the world, and that's why there are the Chargers of the world. Some teams are better at the homework. That's why you know, in your class, some kids got the ninety-nine point nine A. I mean, if we're, talking, if we're talking about the Chargers, like, yeah, they haven't won a Super Bowl, but they've been a playoff team like for a really long time. Like, it's not like the the Bengals franchise here. Yeah, but I mean, out of that division, what I, I mean, we could continue to split hairs here, but from a just from strictly a scouting and team. Long story short, it sounds like we feel the exact same way about Justin Herbert, but I think that he's. Some, I think that sometimes quarterbacks are worth the risk. You sometimes think they're not that early. 
I think that's. I think we're kind of getting to the same point here. We just have different views if there, on how. I mean, draft no. Is. I mean, if there's if there's five if there's five quarterbacks in a draft that you think really could could be the future of your franchise, then yeah, take them wherever you need to take them. Don't lie to yourself. I think that there's some. I think that there's some pressure when Terod Taylor's your quarterback to go out and draft a quarterback, even if there's not a great quarterback. Uh, that's I think that's what I'm kind of getting at here is that teams reach uh, based on situation and the Chargers in a situation where they didn't necessarily have to reach because of the free agency market. Like, did it not make sense to everyone else to put Cam Newton in a Chargers uniform and launch a new stadium? Did it not make sense to everyone else to put to put uh, Jameis Winston at the helm of that offense? And despite the fact that you're going to lose nine games, you're going to score a ton of points and put asses in the seats when you don't have a fan base that's going to be engaged. You think Justin Herbert is going to engage a LA fan base that couldn't fill a soccer stadium last year? You think Terod Taylor's going to do that? I'm saying that some teams don't have direction. And the Chargers kind of look like that right now to me with the Justin Herbert pick at six. I think the first round pick at number six, a West Coast guy who's played out there, who's from there, is that's their hope is that people out there are going to identify with the kid. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't. Okay, that's like he's he. You know what he is? He's Josh Rosen. Where is Josh Rosen? In Miami. Doing what? It's backup. No, he's no, not. He's the third, third stringer. He's going to be cut. So there's. I mean that that that's what I see. I see a lot of Josh Rosen, West Coast cool guy who never talked before the draft. I mean, we shouldn't give Justin Herbert this much time, but I just don't believe in the guy. Well, that's okay. You don't have to. That's the beauty of the draft. We'll never know until a year or two from now. I, I got to pick a quarterback every year that I don't like. So that's that, true. Justin, that's Justin true. Herbert just as is tradition. Um, he's he's usurping. I'm on the Kyler Murray bandwagon. He's usurping Kyler Murray. I, I, like you said, I'm, I'm glad you're already admitting you're probably gonna have to eat crow on the Kyle Mur- Kyler Murray will never win six games. Yeah. Once I saw. Um, once I saw. Cliff Kingsbury's interiors, oh like they could God. put you at, they could put you at quarterback. And I, I could win, win six I could six, I could win six games with a head coach with that living room. I'd yeah. buy into it right away. I love Cliff. You got the, you got the cloud couch from a lot of white, hardware. A lot, a lot of white going on there, but you, you just better hope you don't spill anything there. And also that, you know, for as, as uh, modern as that patio looked, it's, it was I mean, weird. like the, there was the, like that's the, where the, the pool patches, supposed to be. The patches what? of grass with like the concrete in between. That's, I like that. I like, I like that for like. I, I, just, uh, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, very, um, very modern, very sleek, very clean, very cliff. Um, it's very, cliff. very cliff. All of it was very, very cliff. cliff. Uh, Matt, some other news to get to here. Uh, we touched on Bears draft, uh, and then the Justin Herbert segment took over. But uh, hey, that's some that's other, sometimes good radio. Just let just some let it other uh, some other Chicago sports news here, and I think this uh, this garners a or calls for a, a Matt's hot. This was a bombshell and beyond. I think um, everybody was. Start, was shocked by this. Blackhawks president and CEO John McDonough, who's been responsible for uh, three Stanley Cups and the brightest years that the franchise has ever seen, uh, fired. He's relieved of his duties atop the uh, hierarchy at uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks, and you know mm-hmm. Rocky Wirtz seeing that it was time to move on. Uh, kind of interesting to me that it wasn't a Bowman head to fall first. Matt, what did you make of all this? Odd timing, first yeah. off, because 
you know, five weeks ago, I think we might have talked, I'm not sure if we brought it up on the podcast or not, but Rocky did an interview with The Athletic and he said, you know, everybody's safe, everybody's doing a great job, we're all going to be back and we're all going to you know, get this turned around. And then, you know, five weeks later, obviously the top dog is let go. I, I mean, there, there's rumors that they were on different sides of how the NHL should go about restarting the season. And, and I think mm-hmm. Rocky wanted it to be restarted. I don't think John did, which probably makes sense because, you know, McDonough might know that his team doesn't really have much chance to compete and would can kind of use this year as a wash if they don't have to come back and play. That's not, but that, that shouldn't be the reason or would be the reason that he was let go, released, fired, whatever you want to call it. it it's just, mm-hmm. it's odd timing. I think it was the right decision. I think John McDonough early on did a, he took over a sleeping giant. He pushed all the right buttons to get fans back in the seats. Obviously he, you know, I don't want to say got lucky that they got, you know, franchise changing players in the building or had them already but he hired the guys put the right guys around him you know marketed these players in a, you know a fantastic way um he you know, treated his franchise any anybody who uh, any players who had you know come to the blackhawks from other franchise you know spent one year stints here said you know chicago players were treated better than just about any place they'd been before so he, he did a lot of right things early that said late it seems like him and probably Stan Bowman too falls under this category. Just kind of fell in love with the past. Um, it, it, it every at every turn you saw it this year when they kept doing those uh, the the one more shifts ish one more shift promotions where they were bringing back guys like Christopher Stieg who literally hadn't even retired yet was just a was yeah. free agent. They brought back and honored him. Adam Burrish was kind of the same way. He probably wasn't as bad, but like he he wasn't. He was a you know, fourth line grinder on a team that, you know, played here for one year. It, they, they were doing everything they could to re-embrace the old because they weren't in a great position going forward. Yeah. They were looking for a vintage t-shirt. And yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's changed, but I do think it was the right decision. It was the right time to get a new fresh set of eyes because, I mean, I look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. They had, you know, they had a lot of early success with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. They didn't have the Hawks success, but they got the one cup in 2009. They were always a perennial team that was up there. They kind of had a little bit of a falling out. Uh, they fired their general manager. They weren't afraid to let go of the guys that won them a cup, brought in a new guy, new set of eyes, a hockey mind. And then they, you know, made the right, made some right moves, weren't afraid to, you know, we're, we're seeing this team with, with new views, not looking in the past. And yeah. they brought in the right guys, won back-to-back cups. I'm not saying that's going to happen with the Hawks, but sometimes you need a fresh set of eyes instead of you know always just relying on how can we bring back the past with this team. Sometimes you got to move forward if you want to you know keep moving forward. And I think right now, just in terms of like looking at this from a timing standpoint, I think right now makes sense because you're not going to be the only team looking. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the only team shopping for a GM, a president. Yeah whatever openings are going to be open. You start making those calls yesterday. Um, you're out in front of this. If you knew this is going to be something that happened in the off season, 100% oh, that, take I get, advantage of this scenario. I get and, that. And it's get the, the couple months head start. It's the five weeks ago saying everybody was safe. And that is, yeah, that's, that's, the, the timing, if you're going to do it right now, is perfect. It's just like kind of when the Bulls did. It's like, hey, let's get out ahead of this. Let's do it. And I, I think the right way to go about this, and I think uh, a lot of, you know, at least the the – hardcore you know Blackhawks fans that the you know bigger hockey Blackhawks fans I guess like myself pay really close attention to it have been saying uh-huh. that you know kind of like what the Cubs did they need a president of business ops and they need a president of hockey ops and yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if they approached John McDonough and said something along the lines of hey that's the route we want to go mm-hmm. and he was kind of like well if you're going that way then you're gonna have then to I'm let up. me go and yeah. it wouldn't be shocking to me if Rocky said okay well we're gonna let you go 
um, because so, that's that's what I mean, he, John McDonough he did a great job on the business side, did a great job overseeing the franchise, should not be overseeing hockey ops, and he was overseeing hockey ops. So let's say that that is the scenario here. Um, I've already heard some murmurs around Edzo. That's the uh, big name that everybody's going to keep bringing up till he's not or is hired. And and it makes sense that that's the you know that's the headline name. He would have to you know give up all of his. He loves his his horse racing coverage from, with NBC from what Sports I've heard, he and everything do else it, he does. From what I've heard, if given the offer, made the offer, he would take it in a heartbeat. Gotcha. Not from every team, but from the and, Chicago Blackhawks. And, and by all estimations, he would be heading the hockey operations yep. where they'd bring in someone else on the busy side. It, it wouldn't side. shock me if, if, uh, if through this, Eddie Olchek was hired as the hockey president and Daniel Wirtz kept the you know business. Pre- uh, gonna, the, Daniel, someone, someone from Wirtz Beverage would Dan, be running Daniel the Wirtz is the in, Daniel Wirtz is the interim. Uh, it wouldn't be shocking if they hired a hockey guy and said he's the president of business ops. I'd be okay with the Eddie Olchek hire under the condition that the general manager, Eddie, is a fantastic hockey mind. He's a fantastic mm-hmm. analyst. Um, but if you've ever you know, heard him talk about hockey, talked about hockey with the guy, heard his opinions on the radio, whatever, he's still very kind of old school. Um, I would be cool with him as the hockey ops president if the general manager was a you know younger analytics-based type person. I think it was Jay Zawaski from 670 who, who made this point. I really agree with it. you got to have a balance there, and, yeah. and he's got to be willing to work with that. You, you, you I, I think there's definitely room for the old school mentality still in hockey, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, it showed in Pittsburgh when they the guy they brought in was Jim Rutherford, who had been running Carolina for a while. Older guy has an older school view, but you still have to be open to the way the game is going and kind of find that middle ground. So if they have that analytics base, gee, I mean, we're jumping, putting the card ahead of the horse here, assuming they're going to hire Eddie. I do think that's the way they're going to go. Um, but you have to have that analytics base, you know, balance uh, probably coming from the general manager's office. I do think especially if, if Eddie Olchek is hired. I, I, I do think it probably spells the end for Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton, not just Eddie, any president. Um, yeah. I, I think you look at what they've done, a new set of outside eyes. I don't think there's a person coming into this franchise that can probably tell you that they think Stan Bowman did a good job over, you know, since the 2015 Cup win. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than you know finding Artemi Panarin, I, I think pretty much every move, most of the moves he's made, the big ones at least, have been pretty big mistakes. Um, it would, I'd be very surprised if those two are retained just because usually a new guy is going to want to bring in their guy unless that person's been insanely successful. And clearly the last, you know, three, four years, the Blackhawks have not been insanely successful. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's the, the the sort of change that, like you said, hopefully can reignite in the short term, uh, a la Pittsburgh, but, uh, going to be very interesting to see the direction of the Blackhawks because there has been. I think it's safe to say a lack of direction. I, it, there's the been a lack. Of, it's been kind of guessing. It seems like yeah. a lot. You, you talk about teams guessing in the draft. I think with the Hawks, they've been doing a lot of guessing on the trade market and rolling the dice on certain people, recapturing form. You know, uh, Ole Mata was a guy who was really good in Pittsburgh and kind of been slowing down the last couple of years. And that's guy. Well, let's trade for him and maybe he can figure it out. Calvin DeHaan, who was really good while he was healthy, but was coming off you know shoulder surgery, it's like oh well, maybe we can trade for him. And if he's good, he's pretty good value if he stays healthy. And then he didn't stay healthy. Same thing with Andrew Shaw's had concussion history the last couple of years. Oh, maybe if we bring him in, maybe he'll stay healthy and he'll be. Yeah. You know, then he's getting you know then he's concussed. Um, a lot of these big moves were rolls of the dice. They were just kind of guessing, and they didn't end up working out. Um, another thing with McDonough, I would have to guess that season ticket renewals were not going well because. 
my dad is a season ticket holder, as I've, I've made very clear here, and uh, he you know gets the emails from the department. Obviously, with as most teams have, they've kind of extended the you know you don't have to decide till this uh, you know till this certain date. You don't have to pay till this certain date. They, the Hawks have kind of kept doing that a couple times, which leads me to yes. believe that they're trying to buy some time to get some more people to be back in on it. And uh, I, I do think this is going to rejuvenate the fan base just a little bit, and especially if they go out and hire a guy like Eddie Olchek with a fan base at doors. Um, I, I think that will boost up season ticket sales again. I, I think that had to be a major factor in this as well. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a definitely a transitional period right now for the Blackhawks, um, as it is for our Chicago Bulls, who uh, are moving – pieces atop their power structure as well. But our bull stock takes us uh, into the Wayback Machine as it has coast to coast, uh, perhaps worldwide. I don't know the reception, how it's been around the world, but I know here in the United States that on Sunday night, uh, there's only one place to be that's parked in front of the television watching The Last Dance. Uh, we got parts three and four last Sunday, uh, sort of digging into the life and times of Dennis Rodman, which I, I loved it. I loved it. I, I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed all four hours of this. I wanted more Rodman. I wanted, not like in terms of like more time spent on Rodman. I wanted to know things about Rodman we didn't know before. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we pulled back the veil. I didn't know about the Vegas much. trip. I, I don't know if I'd heard that story specifically before. I, I remember hearing stories of him between games going on vacations to Vegas and stuff. I never knew that Michael pulled him out of bed with Carmen Electra and that. So I guess we got the details there, Mm -hmm. but um, very interesting. I I think that they're doing a good job of, uh, you know, they're not going about this chronologically by any means or bouncing back and forth to tell these different players Mm -hmm. stories. Um, But Matt, your, your impressions of the last dance thus far, I think it's just been really cool to chew on something that, that in a way, like I'm, I'm learning what I don't remember, kind of that 91 to, I mean, even prior to 91, yeah. Jordan coming to the league in 84, but that 91 through 95 section, I, I'm it, learning a lot. And then that 96 to 98 is igniting a crazy nostalgia in me of mm-hmm. like my first, not just my first sports memories, but my first memories of like what that time felt like so that's what i've enjoyed most about it yeah i mean i always knew the general story of these bulls and especially you know jordan's bulls and going from you know doug collins and charles oakley to kind of some of the you know the moves made to get them over the hump i just never really knew kind of the backstories to them you know the the general public's feel about them how michael felt about a lot of these like i didn't I wasn't old enough or even alive to, you know, be around to, you know, digest the reaction to it. And, you know, the, the public, you know, how the public felt about it, how the bulls felt yeah. about it, all that stuff. So it's nice to look back and kind of learn. Like, I don't, I didn't remember the whole Scotty Pippen holding out like this like injured mm-hmm. thing to start 90. I had no recollection of that. And that was all like, that was kind of news to me. Um, I guess the, I, I love the two, like, don't get me wrong. I love that we get two episodes a week. I almost wish they were spaced out over two nights though. Because it's a lot of content to digest, and I feel like a lot of the earlier stuff you tend to like, by the time you're, it's you know nine forty five, you kind of forget a little bit what might have happened at eight fifteen early on in the Rodman episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I, I am with you. I, I, we didn't learn a ton about Rodman other than the, the Vegas story, which you didn't really know. It would have been nice to pull back the veil a little bit. That said, the Rodman content was absolutely electric. Like 
the dude chugging a Miller Lite and then peeling away in a motorcycle without a helmet on camera was like, could you imagine <laughs> if somebody did that today? Like if Draymond like chugged a Miller Lite, got on a motorcycle and left with Joe, gang. Adam Silver would suspend him for two weeks. Like, it, it, <laughs> but it, it's, it, it, it's, it's just a fun kind of trip down, not just down memory lane, but, you know, kind of relearning and learning a lot of new details about this team that I've, you know, always seen as iconic, yeah. always seen as, you know, I've always pretty much worshipped, and there, there are a couple times during those, you know, uh, stretches where you saw like a minute or two long Michael Jordan montage. I, I could like you could have an episode like in just an hour long Michael Jordan montage, and I'd probably just be like floored at how good he was yeah. every single time. I, I, I knew he was great, but didn't really remember seeing him and seeing some of these highlights, these you know, these montages like that is just reestablishing how I feel about Michael Jordan as the greatest uh, basketball player to ever live. In summation, Isaiah Thomas still a punk. How about yeah, that? Yeah, like just. Still did punk. you see afterwards, John Sally? Uh, John Sally did an interview on SVP. Uh, uh, I did not. He's Scott Van Pelt. After these, the last dances, Scott Van Pelt does a you know couple reaction segments with you know certain people. I think it was Will Bond and Jackie McMullen the first segment. Then he did an interview with John Sally, and John Sally talked about it. And even he was like, "Yeah, you know, I know what they were saying." And you know, Lambeer was kind of you know, pumping up that idea. And I was on the bench at the time and I didn't like it. I told Chuck Daly to put me back in the game with 12 seconds left because I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't really agree with it. Like, do I get why they did it? Sure. I can see their explanations for it, but no, I didn't want to be a part of that. Like I wanted to to shake those guys' hands and all that, that, and also Isaiah Thomas's story has changed like five times over the last 15 (laughs) years. And like first as well, the Celtics did it to us. Well, you know, we didn't really think about it that way. Well, it, it just, no, you, you were just a punk and you were bitter and you got your ass kicked by your biggest rival. Little brother finally punched you back in the face and knocked you down. And instead of getting back up, you just kind of rolled over and went away. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is that, you know, history doesn't really remember that business team. Um, champions in their own right. They're still bitter about that too. You can tell. Champions in their own right. They caught, uh, they what did they catch? The tail end of magic. Um, yeah. They caught an aging they, Celtics team. The Which aging was, Celtics team with Bird. Like, so I think that, you know, they want to be remembered as more than they were. And they're remembered as exactly what they were. You won, but you were a bunch of just dirtbags. Mm-hmm. You did it your way. Good for you. No one's going to like you or remember you fondly because of the way you did it. Yeah. Right. And I, actually, I honestly, you, you've seen Isaiah's quotes and he's kind of back, you know, backtracking on everything and like changing up his story. I don't like Bill, Bill Lambeer. I never really will, even though I wasn't around for those segments. Just what I've learned from the guy, he kind of seems like a seems like a little bit of a dick. Um, but he at least is honest and upfront about. It. I was like, yeah, we didn't like him. I didn't want to shake their hands, so I left the court. Like, yeah. He's just be honest about it, man. Like, okay, like you, that's that's a classless move, but at least you're telling me the truth. At least you're not telling five different stories. Like, yeah, you didn't like the guy. You didn't want to shake their hands. You weren't ready to you know be knocked off the mountaintop, and you were you were bitter and pissed off, so you left. Okay. I do think that that has produced the best or at least most viral moment thus far with Michael looking at the iPad. Like oh, yeah. Michael reacting to mm-hmm. Isaiah's uh, comments was, for me, the, so I don't far. Care what, I don't pinnacle. care whatever he says. He's yeah. still an asshole. He's, yeah. He goes, he's probably lying. He goes, probably revising, uh, revising history or something like that, however you put it. But um, that was, I think that was, for me, and the I best moment thus far. Kind of forgot and, you know, Jordan just kept Isaiah off the dream team. Just said had to do he, it. it was Chuck Daly was the head coach of the dream team. He's like, nah, if he's here, I'm not. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, see you later, Isaiah. We're going to take Michael. Sorry about it. 
Um, Matthew, yeah, what do we my, got? We got a mailbag. We got, uh, we got, we got a mailbag. We, we, we a had mailbag. a couple more, but obviously we're running a little bit long here. We don't want to keep the people too long, so we'll go to just one. Um, in the theme, in the theme of the bad boys Pistons here, Joe. Okay, uh, comes from. Parker Carroll, good friend of the podcast, always has a good mailback for us, it seems. Um, Sports-wise, y- you can go team, I guess, but I'd rather hear a singular athlete person. Biggest sports villain for you growing up, now, whatever. You know, bi- biggest thorn in the side of your team. Guy you just hate the most. Now, when I think this is very interesting, and mm-hmm. it, it might be – I'm not trying to be controversial here, and I'm not trying to be irreverent. But That's fine. when I think of villains growing up, the two names that immediately came to mind were Alex Rodriguez and Kobe Bryant. Okay, and I didn't necessarily, Kobe. I didn't necessarily hate I, either of those players. Kobe to me was the villain because he was the threat to Michael's legacy. There you go. That was that's kind of how I always put two and two together there. I never rooted against Kobe. I loved watching the moments. Mm-hmm. Um, those Lakers teams never really did it for me. I was a huge Steve Nash Suns fan, so I think that's where I might have been rooting against him as well. The Lakers um, were always villains for me growing up because the same way yeah, Kobe was a threat. That, those, those, that 3 P team always seemed like a threat to the Bulls legacy. And the way he did it with a scowl on his face, I say this in the most respectful manner, it just pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I always I kind of find myself rooting for the villain from time to time. Like I wanted to say LeBron in this question, but the 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 periods in which I hated LeBron are the periods that he wasn't the villain. I loved villain LeBron in Miami. That was my favorite version of LeBron. Peak powers, Miami catching lobs from Wade LeBron. Mm-hmm. That's my LeBron. So uh, my answer to this would be Kobe, but but I say that with reverence and respect, like. He earned that villain okay. title from me because he posed some sort of threat to what I held near to me. I get that. I like that. That's that's a good answer. I went more of the you know I've just tried and to Justin think of, Herbert and Justin, and Justin Herbert. Herbert. That, that's number one. <laughs> um, I tried to think of kind of the guys you know. I get where you're going with the you know, Kobe threatening kind of the legacy and all that of the Bulls. I, I tried to think of the teams that were kind of the thorn of the side, like of the teams that were actually playing while uh-huh. we were growing up. And there were two that popped in my mind. One still is and probably always will be unless by some odd chance he does indeed join the Bears. Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> I, I get it. He's really good. He's incredibly talented. I hate the guy. I hate him. He, he just – I can't stand him. He always beats the Bears. He, they, they can't get by him, it seems like. He always seems a way to pull a, you know, something out of his ass and, and beat the Bears you know, in some ridiculous way. I absolutely hate the guy. I will never like him unless he wears the helmet. And even then, I'll kind of be like, See, oh, it'll think, feel dirty. But like, okay, I'll respect you. Now, I, 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 just, I wouldn't I hate feel him. dirty at all. And I, and, and I think that kind of goes off of why I don't necessarily hate Aaron Rodgers. I hate the Green Bay Packers. And my hate for the Green Bay Packers is so much larger than any individual player that's ever worn the Packers that's uniform okay. that I can't like – I, I agree, but to me, Aaron Rodgers, of, of Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers in that in that yellow helmet is the epitome of hatred for me. Like that, yeah. like I, don't just get me wrong, I hated Brett Favre, but I think that the Bears were always like so bad during those times. Like it, it, it didn't really matter. matter. And also, <laughs> like the Urlacher Briggs Bears, like they had their run where they got the better of Brett Favre. Like they really yeah. did. Like towards the end of that, his time with the with Green Bay, even in Minnesota, like they they had they got the better of him, and they were the better team for a while. That has, I mean, 
yeah, the Bears beat the Packers at Lambeau to win the win the division a couple of years ago. That was a five and ten team, and it didn't really have that same feel to it. Like the Bears still haven't really gotten the better of Aaron Rodgers yet, and, mm-hmm. and maybe once that happens, I'll feel that way. But they haven't done that. And the other one for me is there was bit, that time that Shane McClellan broke his collarbone, but go on. Oh, there you go. I mean, yeah, but like, then what? The Bears went on to be six and ten. Exactly. Like, yeah. Great. That's awesome. Um, another one that sticks out for me: the Minnesota Twins during those you know late uh, late first decade of the two thousands hated them because the Sox the Sox don't really seem to have that rival now. But back then, when both teams were good, it's usually those two teams at the top of the Central going back and forth. And while I I always I didn't like Joe Maurer, I but I respected him for just how good of a baseball player he was. You know, he was pretty much the perfect baseball player for a long time. Uh-huh. Justin Morneau, I just absolutely hated. Uh, he always hit the Justin big Morneau, home run. I, Justin uh, Morneau, Jason, Jason Kubel. Oh my God, Jock Jason Jones, Kubel. Michael Michael Kadire, like all these guys, like who had no business being good baseball. Pete Powers, Tory Hunter, just killed this. Uh, hated him just ended up killing the white Sox. It, it was yeah and like just i have terrible nightmares of the socks in those metrodome in those, those metrodome games where they were so bad and you know it was always it always seemed to be justin morneau or jason kubel like you said hitting this big home run in the eighth inning where the Sox finally seemed like the Sox are going to hold on for a win and then someone hits a you know a three-run bomb to give the twins a two-run lead and it's all like those i don't those are the two th- those twins and aaron Rodgers are the most frustrated i've ever been watching my team, I think, play. I just popped open the 2006 Minnesota Twins Wikipedia page. Just immediate heartbreak. AL Central, uh, Minnesota Twins claim it 96 and 66. Uh, Detroit Tigers 95 and 67. White Sox six off the pace at 90 and 72. But just, I mean, Michael Kadire, Luis Castillo, Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau, mm. uh, Gardy, fuck, just freaking Gardy at, at the helm. He was always just a thorn in the side. Um, they didn't even have good. They, they still don't, but they didn't even have good pitchers. They just had these random guys, like, with the I mean, exception Johan of Johan Santana. Santana but, the exception yeah. of Johan Santana, like their ace for a while was Brad Radke. Like they had these guys who weren't all that good. Francisco that Liriano go out and shut down the Sox. Like I just Kyle hated Loach, so much. Joe Ugh. Nathan. Uh, Joe, Joe Nathan was, was good. He was Joe good. Nathan he was stuff. real nasty. Was he another guy yeah. who played for the Sox for like half a year? I don't remember. Was he another I guy that Kenny brought in? They? I don't. I don't remember. Maybe not. Yeah. No, he played for the Cubs for like half a year. That's what I'm thinking. I was going to say, I don't remember Joe Nathan being a Whites. Yeah, like, Chicago Cubs in 2016, excuse me. I tried yeah, to think no. of Red Wings that really jumped out at me, but like none of them did I really ever truly hate because they were all yeah. just really good. Like Lindstrom, I hate, you had to respect. But he was like, Lindstrom was just the best. Like he like, I, yeah. I hated the Red Wings, and I, but like I respected how good he was. Datsuk, Zetterberg, all these guys. Like I, I mean, I guess Tomas Holmstrom was, I, I wasn't all that good, but he was as good as anybody getting in front of the net. So even he was like awesome. It's like, I, huh. I mean, that boils Wait, up the blood, but they were all are really we forgetting? Good. Are we forgetting the ultimate villain? Go on. Bobby Lou. The Ooh. hatred, see, for, see, here's the the hatred thing, like, for Roberto Luongo at a given point in Chicago history might have been the highest of any hatred for any player that yes, in our lifetime. But like for me, the villain is someone that, like that's hard to conquer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he wasn't hard to conquer. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they got us one time when they were the one seed, we were the eight seed and it still took, you know, a couple bounces for them in overtime to, to get by us. Like he, like he got broken right away. Like he wasn't yeah. that, like he was like, you know, you're playing a video, one of those early video the games. Mountain wasn't that tall to climb. He, he wasn't the boss at the end of, yeah. you know, at the end of the video game, he was like villain number two that, yeah, you know, okay. He got a nice punch in early on, but then, you know, like you, 
you, you broke a shield and he was down and he was done. Like that, that's okay. you literally just had You're to go- crack a shield. Matt's going Call of Duty now, which leads me to believe that his update has downloaded. Update is done. To get that's off, true. I'm not. I'm trying not. to get off the podcast. Here. I'm not. I was just no. that. That's what you know. That's what first popped in my head. But that's yeah. Uh, that like so yeah. I, we hated Luongo, but it was more it's of like uh, too like much. it's like oh that's 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 cute. You think you're really good, but you're you're just not yeah. better than us. Um, well, that was I, fun. I'm happy. I'm happy to be the villain here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 151. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just gotta. You know, sometimes you just gotta spit some fire. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta happens, burn down happens. the village and and see that who's was standing. the most passionate I've ever heard you in a while, and I'm I shocked. just like I, I'm it just shocked made, that it took of all the things that we've talked about on this podcast of all the bad bears losses of all the you know tough hawk stuff, bulls being terrible and all that. The most passionate I've ever heard you is Justin Herbert being taken from no, the Los Angeles no, I've Chargers. Been, I was, I've been far more passionate about I've been far more passionate about Mitch Trubisky. All right, okay, fine. The most passionate I've heard you in quite some time. Yes, and probably since Kyler Murray. It just uh, and not to go all the way back into it, but I, it, it I, I'll never claim to be some uh, analyzer of talent at the NFL level. But I just feel like sometimes you can see it, sometimes you don't see it, and when you don't see it, it's a lot less likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And and I don't see it with Justin Herbert. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But I think that the uh, that the road ahead for him, there's going to have to be some pivotal moments, some drastic change, and some maturation, uh, all in a sh- very short period of time for him to have any sort of success at the NFL level. I tell you what, this is episode 151, right? Uh huh. How about we group, we regroup on episode 302? That's okay. About, it's about you know what two years from now ish. My math's bad. Three years. No, let's, let's call it two two. 247 episode 247 okay. we're going to regroup and we're going to reevaluate the career of justin herbert to there thus far let's make it a date and then we can also Done. preview episode 250 and start gauging people for mailbacks for it put it in the minutes but for now we say goodbye to episode 151 of the moose and runes podcast hit uh, the links this week people it opens up may 1st hit the links uh except go out you're there, in uh, connecticut Get on plane. Uh, find your find your beach. What you What you think of my What you think of my 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 post? My picture, my swing. I was a little flat at the top. Yeah, a little flat. Flat. Little. Honestly, off. the picture. Um, uh, Mike got that picture. With, I didn't know, but he you know he texted to me on the course. That actually helped my, the rest of my rounds. I realized, man, I'm I'm really carrying that thing a little flat. I got to be a little more straight up and down. Yeah, swing got text- swing got a lot better. I think I texted around. it to you. Is uh, you've always had a little Ricky Fowler in you from uh, from the orange pants to the swing. Fashion I think, to the swing, uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah think, think you're getting a little laid off there, like Ricky, but um, I think it looked good. I mean, for a Appreciate for a that. late uh, for a late April uh, position at the top with no golf prior, got to be happy with it. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, go find your swing. Go uh, go out, have a good time. All those golfers in the Chicagoland area. Be sure to keep it locked right here on the Moose and Runes podcast for episode 152 coming your way next week. Uh, we, we say it every week, but we mean it. It's going to get light here, folks. Uh, we might start getting some announcement news of when sports are going to be coming back. But Justin nothing, Herbert can't get drafted sixth every week. Nothing immediate. And yes, Justin Herbert cannot provide us unless he does something stupid uh, off the field. Fingers crossed. Just, no, Justin no, Herbert will not, not provide no, not us. Fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, he, he's not going to give us the topics all the time. So we need those mailbag questions. Uh, let us hear it. Send it in anything and everything. We love to break it down here. We appreciate you guys for listening. As always, Solution Moves Podcast, episode 151. For Matt, I'm Joe. We'll see you guys soon. 
May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>